0: To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com slash FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash FilmDaily.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for December 19th, 2017. On today's show, we're going to be looking at a bunch of news, including LMO Drafthouse is launching a video store. Narcos gets new lead actors, Man of Steel sequel details, Star Wars The Last Jedi backlash, Paramount sets new release dates, and how all the money in the world erased Kevin Spacey. And we'll give you trailer reactions for Mortal Engines, Greatest Showman, Ocean's 8, and The Nutcracker in the Four Realms. This is Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Writers, Hawaii Tran-Bui.
2: Hey, everyone.
1: And Chris Evangelista. Hello. Before we jump into the news, guys, uh, we got a little bit of feedback uh, from a story we reported on last week. We reported on the top-rented movies on Redbox. uh, Slash film reader, or or listener, I guess, Shane D. wrote in a long email. I'll I'll read an excerpt. He says, uh, The crew, HT in particular, were very disappointed in what seemed like America's basic choices. As an avid listener and Redbox user, I would argue that these numbers are totally misrepresenting America's film prowess as a whole. M- my wife and I, for instance, will quickly, may- maybe frantically, check out the first few screens of Redbox on a busy weeknight trip to the supermarket and will freakingly grab a dumb comedy or a flashy action blockbuster. Ba- basically, uh, Shane goes to write that basically... Uh, the red box machine is akin to the, you know, the magazine rack in super, in the supermarket. So, you know, it's for dumb fun things. It's not for, you know, thinking, uh, do, do you guys have any, any thoughts on this?
2: I mean, I don't disagree with him, honestly. I know I kind of came off as a little snooty when we were talking about the story, <laughs> but, I will go see a bad movie with my family and just kind of want to zone out and not really think about something for a night. Like I just I watched Dragon Blade with my family and it was a terrible movie, but we had a good time.
1: And yeah, it just seems like the supermarket, it, it, he does make a good point. Like a supermarket is probably the the place where I, I remember when I was a kid and there was a, re- a video rental store in my supermarket. I would, you know, the family would rent the the worst stuff from that it was it wasn't going there to rent an oscar bait uh movie so yeah so uh, cr- i'm
2: assuming yeah i'm assuming that red box doesn't have a huge selection of movies either
1: <laughs> that that is probably also the case um so the, the the selection is probably thin but let's jump into the news uh first up in the news we were talking about video rentals the Alamo Draft House is jumping into the video rental store game. This seems like a backwards move. Chris, what do we know?
3: Yes, yeah, so in Raleigh, North Carolina, the Alamo Draft House is opening a new theater, and within that theater will be a store called Video Vortex, which is going to be a video rental store. And, you know, it'll have Blu-rays and DVDs but it's also going to have a selection of rare VHS films that haven't yet to be carried over to DVD and if you don't have a VHS player and you live in Raleigh you're in luck because they're also going to be able to uh, rent you a VHS player to go with the tapes
1: seems like an odd move i mean LA has a bunch of these uh, i'm i'm sure like a lot of the major cities have video rental places that co- carry like these more rare vhs movies and dvd movies i know seattle has a a big one uh new york has a big uh rental place that has stuff like that um it just seems like is is a market like raleigh like really itching to you know get some obscure horror movie on vhs
3: yeah i i don't really know much about raleigh um Maybe this is like a test run, and they're going to see if it does well there, and then they'll try it elsewhere. I really don't know. It's it's very strange that they chose this
1: specific location to try it out in. Yeah, for sure. Uh, next on the news is uh, Netflix's Narcos has recast the leads for season four. HD, what do we know?
2: So, Netflix has announced that Diego Luna and Michael Pena will be the new leads in Narcos, uh, starting with season four. And Pedro Pascal is no longer going to be the leading star. It's unclear whether Pedro Pascal, who's played the lead DEA DEA agent for the past two seasons after Boyd Holbrook sort of stepped down after season two. uh, It's unclear whether Pedro Pascal will continue to be on the show or not or whether he's just been relegated to supporting role. But it's now Diego Luna and Michael Peña who are going to be the new leads for Narcos.
1: I'm not sure if either of you have been watching this show, but I I love the first two seasons that concentrated on uh, Pablo Escobar. And this show's problem, I think, has always been finding interesting enough leads. Like the the story of the villain of this show has always been way more interesting than the show uh, than the story of the you know the DEA agents. So, uh, but this seems like a major upgrade in cast. In uh, HT, you haven't seen this show. It, it, are these new leads? Enough to get you interested.
2: It might be. I'm a big Diego Luna fan, and I, I kind of have heart eyes whenever I see him. So uh, I might watch it now because of him. It's it's intriguing enough for me to take to pique my interest.
1: Well, I would highly recommend at least the first two seasons of Narcos. If anybody has not watched them, uh, they are fantastic television. Um Moving on. Mark Millar has uh, shared with us uh, the details on the Man of Steel sequel that never was. Chris, what do we know about this?
3: Yeah, so uh, a few months ago, there was a rumor going around that Matthew Vaughn, the director of the Kingsman films, uh, was one of the names that Warner Brothers was considering to direct a possible Man of Steel sequel. And apparently that's true because Mark Millar confirmed that uh, a few months ago, Matthew Vaughn called him up. And said, Warner Brothers really wants me to do Man of Steel. Will you help me with it? But the problem with that is Mark Millar just signed this exclusive deal with Netflix for his uh, you know his comic books and all that stuff. So he can't really work with anyone else right now. So he basically turned it down. And it just seems like Matthew Vaughn has walked away from the project at this point. Um, uh, they asked him, you know, what would the film be like? He didn't give any plot details, but he basically... Said over and over again, it would be a massive uplifting, hopeful thing, and he kept hammering home the point that if they had made this sequel, they would have focused on it, making it fun, quote unquote, which is something a lot of the the DCEU films have had uh, some trouble with.
1: I mean, it sounds like Mark Millar knows what people want to hear, and he's just saying it. Uh, but uh, you know, it, it seems like it, it's something that we wouldn't wouldn't have gotten either way because you know, he has it's deal with Netflix. Uh let, let's talk a bit about fan reaction. We've been talking about Star Wars the Last Jedi. Uh there has been kind of a bit of a fan backlash. We I think we talked or you guys talked last week on Friday uh a little bit about the Rotten Tomatoes fan score which was uh very very low, like the lowest in Star Wars uh uh film history.
2: Yeah, so Star Wars Last Jedi has gotten an inordinate amount of backlash compared to other Star Wars films that have come out recently. Uh, It's got a 56% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes compared to its 93% tomato meter score, which is, I think, the biggest distinction between uh, the Rotten Tomatoes and audience score than we've seen. But there's also a possibility that this score is being manipulated because the cinema score is uh, that... Last Jedi has received is an A, which is the best sc- score you can get, and IMDb still has about a 7.4, I think. So it's it seems like there's a small vocal minority uh, who are sort of attacking this film for a lot of criticisms that uh, some are valid, some are quite petty and um, inane, but before we get into sort of like the specifics of those, of those criticisms, uh, I wrote kind of kind of a soapbox about why this was an example of just like a fandom at its worst and how there's this sort of gatekeeping for franchises like Star Wars or other huge Franchises that people have a big connection with, and who have um, people who are very passionate about, and that passion sort of turns to possessiveness, and people think that fans think that they have this ownership over a franchise, which they do not have. So it's kind of a combination of all those things, as well as Last Jedi being this really radical uh, movie that throws a lot of ideas for, of Star Wars out out of window, and um, people not seeing what they want to see on the big screen. And it's t- resulted in this sort of really toxic, uh, poisonous backlash against the Star Wars film. Um, people are burning T-shirts. People are harassing Ryan Johnson <laughs> there, there, there's on, a whole petition. on Twitter. Yeah, there are several online petitions now. Some of which ask are asking uh, Ryan Johnson to apologize for Last Jedi. <laughs> some of which are asking Disney to strike Last Jedi from the canon or remake Last Jedi entirely. So these online. Petitions are kind of increasing in their ridiculousness, and it's just sort of and, and emblematic. They have,
1: they have thousands and thousands of signatures. Do these they people do. actually think that Disney is going to, you know, that this is going to have any effect whatsoever?
2: I don't know. People are just acting out in their rage against what they see as a slight towards the Star Wars franchise. And it's just it's it's honestly it's amazing to me that people can have this much passion for a series that they'll go out of their way to either like harass a creator or just completely ask for a new film, even (laughs) though that's not a guarantee that it'll be better. It's just it's the backlash is is um, it's stupid, it's. It's stupid. It's phantom at its worst. And like you said, Peter, you have your own criticisms about Last Jedi. And I think there are some that are um, to be made because it's not a perfect film. But this is drowning out any sort of valid discussion that can be made about Star Wars.
1: Yeah, it, it's kind of tough for me because, you know, I, I did very much love the film, but I have criticisms. And it seems like talking about those criticisms online. Uh, It's kind of like I'm being grouped in that group that are, you know, burning their shirts. And like if you say anything bad about the movie, it's almost like you're grouped into the group of like this movie is the worst Star Wars movie. And I, you know, I obviously do not feel that. It's just um, but it's, you know, there's this group of of fans that are giving us all a bad name. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I mean, Star Wars is more than just a movie movie uh to many people it's you know a very important uh part of their lives and i understand that but you know there's a, there's lines that are in the sand in that um you know that red salt sand uh that you do not cross <laughs> and that is you know some of these things that are happening here these petitions you know it, it, I hate it, by the way, when anybody on Twitter messages a creator or an actor in, like, a total, like, you know, assault of Mm -hmm. a, a tweet of, you know, criticism. Like, it's like, you didn't have to include that person. That person doesn't need to see what you think. You know, like, you know, you can have your opinion without, you know, getting in their face about it. You wouldn't go up to them in public and say, you know, and say that stuff to Ryan Johnson. Why are you saying that on Twitter?
2: Exactly. I think that this whole backlash and any sort of backlash towards big franchises that people are uh, get can get quite up in arms with is just a lesson that, you know, you can have your opinions and you can have your criticisms, but you don't have to p- project it onto others. You can just, you know, give your opinion and not try to insult or attack others for having their own.
1: What you're saying, HT, sounds so obvious and so like (laughs) something that doesn't even need to be said, but apparently it does. (laughs) Um, But uh, Ryan Johnson even responded to this backlash. He Mm -hmm. he gave a statement.
2: Yes. So Ryan Johnson uh, spoke to Business Insider about sort of the uh, huge fan backlash that's happening with Last Jedi. And I'm going to read only a small part of it because he said quite a lot. But he said... Having been a Star Wars fan my whole life and having spent most of my life on the other side of the curb and in that fandom, it softens the blow a little bit. I'm aware through my own experience that, first of all, the fans are so passionate. They care so deeply. Sometimes they care very violently at me on Twitter. But it's because they care about these things and it hurts when you're expecting something specific and you don't get it from that something you love. Uh, it always hurts so I don't take it personally if a fan reacts negatively and lashes out on me on Twitter. That's fine. It's my job to be out there for that. And I think it's kind of sad that Ryan Johnson at this point sort of expects that negative reaction and takes it as part of that job. I don't think that d- directors should have to do that, but it's good that he understands that sort of the good and bad aspects of the Star Wars fandom. And he later says that most of the reactions that he's gotten to The Last Jedi, like 80% of the... Um, Responses he's gotten on Twitter are positive and uh, that he wants to stick by his sort of his own creative vision and not have to just give fans what they want because every fan wants something different
1: He's such a classy smart nice guy and everything he's saying is the exact way that someone should respond to this uh, If they had to respond and it's it's just a a pleasure to see uh, His reaction is what it is um But let's move on. Yesterday when we were recording the podcast, uh, some news broke out that Paramount had set a slate of a ton of movies.
3: Yeah, so Paramount signed a deal uh, a few months back with Hasbro to just, you know, release a bunch of films based on uh, their properties, you know, toys and games. They already had the deal in place sort of with transformers and now they're opening it up even more so uh they they dated a gi joe film for march 27th 2020 there's a micronauts film for october 2020 there is a dungeons and dragons film for july 2021 and then there's an untitled hasbro film for october 2021 so that could be literally anything any of their properties
1: I mean, I think now that Paramount has a long-term deal with Hasbro, I think the smartest thing to do—or I'm not sure—the smartest thing to do, but the the most Hollywood thing to do is to create a Hasbro connected cinematic universe and have you know the G.I. Joe movie connect with Transformers and the Micronaut. Do you know what I mean? Like, I I think if it has Paramount, uh, that th- that probably is the the direction to go in, right? They had
3: they had actually talked about creating a a shared GI Joe universe a little while back. So I wouldn't be surprised if that is what they're going to do with this. I don't I don't think anyone in the world needs a shared GI Joe universe. I'm just going to say that,
1: but I I'm sure that is what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, moving on, uh, we all the money in the world is coming out. Of course, they have replaced Kevin Spacey in that movie. Chris, you wrote an article explaining how that happened.
3: Yeah, so it's a it's a pretty detailed article so I encourage everyone to go check it out at /film.com. But it's basically just a, it was a race against the clock where after after the allegations came out against Kevin Spacey, the producers of the film had a meeting and they tried to figure out what to do and they decided, you know, it's best to just release it as is. They thought delaying it would cause even more problems. And they were originally just going to release it as is with Spacey still in the film. But then Kevin Spacey, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Ridley Scott and his producers came back and said, we're going to reshoot all of Spacey's scenes with a new actor. And uh, Tom Rothman at Sony told them he thought it was impossible. He thought there was no way to get it done. But Ridley Scott uh, hired Christopher Plummer and they reshot all his scenes all of Kevin Spacey's scenes in nine days, and now the film is pretty much going to open on schedule as planned, which has never happened before. This is an unprecedented
1: story in Hollywood. In HT, you saw the movie last night.
2: Yeah, I went to a screening of it and the the Christopher Plummer scenes are actually quite seamless. If you didn't know beforehand that, you know, he, he essentially came onto the movie uh, a week beforehand, then you would not have noticed that he was just inserted into the film. And he makes a, up a good 40% of the movie. I was surprised by how many scenes he was in, especially with the other actors, too. Um, I kind of assumed most of them would be off on his own. But he is a prime sort of character in the film. And a lot of it is about him. And Christopher Plummer is is great. He really, he really makes it work. And I think that he and Michelle um, Williams performances are definitely the strong points of the film.
1: So it it is the holidays are uh, approaching pretty quickly. How Hollywood likes to take off, um, you know. Anytime there's a holiday, they they like to take off as many days as possible. So right now, there is a reduced amount of news, except for the Star Wars news. You know, Star Wars news is in full effect, but outside of Star Wars news, there isn't much going on. But it is movie trailer season, so I thought we'd talk about a a bunch of trailers that hit in the last two days. Uh, Let's start off with the Mortal Engines trailer. So this film, uh, *Mortal Engines*,
3: it's based on a uh, one of those YA young adult books, and it's from producer Peter Jackson, and it it's set thousands of years in the future after a, a nuclear war has pretty much destroyed almost the majority of the population, and in this new uh, wasteland, giant cities are uh, seated atop <laughs> moving vehicles, so you have entire cities like London on like the back of a truck just roving around. It's sort of like the, the cities are pirate ships, but the, instead of the, on the sea, they're like in uh, the wasteland on the desert. So it's sort of
1: like, I guess, Mad Max Fury Road, but <laughs> stranger than that. And I, you know, when I first heard the concept for this movie, I, I had no idea how they were going to, you know, visualize this in a, on on the big screen, but seeing this trailer, which is an awesome teaser trailer. Like this is what I want from teaser trailers. Um, it, you know, really give you a sense of like what that means to be like a mobile city. It, it looks kind of cool. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I'm sort of like burned out on the whole young
3: adult movie thing. I, I kind of thought that the the new maze runner movie was going to be the last of them for a while, but I got to admit this looks really cool. It's, it's such a strange premise that, I, I kind of feel like I have to see it because that that's a really bonkers sort of premise just cities on wheels roaming around and the trailer is very effective.
1: So I'll, I'll give it a shot. HD, do you have any thoughts on this trailer?
2: Um, nothing that you guys haven't said. It, it, the visuals are really impressive. And while we don't see much of what else happens, it's just kind of about this bonkers premise of cities on wheels. And uh, it does look very cool. And I'm intrigued
1: I love the the concept of the cities like swallowing up like you know the things around it. Um, I'm very I'm actually very interested to see this now. I thought you know I probably wouldn't have been. Uh, I did watch a little bit of a Christmas story live the other night. I only got uh, I think half an hour into it. Um, It was not is a fan of the the movie i, I did not uh enjoy the it, it, that much I, although i did appreciate uh the production value that they are able to accomplish on the warner brothers backlot in this uh kind of live production but one one trailer during that uh presentation is they they did a live trailer for the greatest showman uh the movie starring Hugh Jackman as PT Barnum as Zac Efron uh Zendaya is how you pronounce her name? Zendaya, I think. Zendaya, yeah. Zendaya. I don't know. People keep on telling me I'm pronouncing it wrong. So I don't know. Um, but uh, the, I, I just love the idea that I think this is probably the first time ever that they've had a live movie trailer.
2: So I didn't watch it live, but uh, it is being touted as the world's first live movie commercial. So it that probably is that case. Um, so this was a two-and-a-half-minute TV spot in which Hugh Jackman, Zendaya, Zac Efron, and um, Keela Settle performed their the musical number Come Alive on the stages of the Warner Brothers Studios in Burbank. And they were backed up by 150 dancers, and it was all done, in I think, in one take. So it's a very impressive feat uh, just to do that. So um, it was... It was uh, it was good. It was like it was very impressive. And I think that it was aided by the fact that all uh, four of the performers were um, very well versed in performing live and doing um, big set pieces like this. So it was it was very well done.
1: We we have more of these live musicals happening every year. Uh, Chris, I'm wondering, what what are your thoughts on this? And do you think that this might become a trend that, like, you know, in, in future live airings of these musicals that m- we might see, you know, a live scene from, you know, whatever the next, you know, Mary Poppins movie is? Or do, do, like is that going to be a thing?
3: I guess it really just depends on the overall reaction to this. I mean, people are talking about it. So there seems like there's a lot of buzz about this specific live trailer. So I feel like if it goes over well enough, people will try it again. I mean, you know, I I don't have a lot of interest in The Greatest Showman as a film. Uh, I like musicals. I tried to listen to some of the songs from the, the film. I haven't seen it yet, but I listened to some of the songs. I didn't really like any of them, but I appreciate this sort of go for broke approach to selling the film. I mean, Hugh Jackman always seems like an actor who's willing to just Go above and beyond to sell whatever it is he's doing. So I do appreciate that, you know, they're they're trying here. That That's that's more than I can say for a lot of movies that
1: just sort of release their films with a whimper rather than a bang. Oh, for sure. And uh, next up on the list is Oceans 8.
2: So, H- Oceans 8 is the all female reboot of the Oceans 11 trilogy starring George Clooney, uh, Brad Pitt, and Matt Damon, which itself was a reboot of the Rat Pack Oceans 11 movie from 1960. So, this uh, all female reboot stars Sandra Bullock, Kate Blanchett, uh, Mindy Kaling, Rihanna, Aquafina, Helena Bonham Carter. Um, Sarah Paulson and Anne Hathaway as a group of eight women who pull off a heist at the annual Met Gala. So the connection this has to the more recent Ocean's Eleven films by Steven Soderbergh is that Sandra Bullock stars as Debbie Ocean, who's the estranged younger sister of George Clooney's Danny Ocean. And in this trailer, we see her just getting out of prison. And um, so she's along the same sort of criminal heist family as her brother is. And she assembles her team to rob the jewels off of the neck of Anne Hathaway's character during the Met Gala. So it's very sleek. It's very, very fun and snappy. And it's, it seems like a, a very, uh, very good reboot to the Ocean's Eleven trilogy.
1: Yeah, I, I love how, well, first of all, this female cast is amazing. Uh no. I, I love how uh, they decided to take a more, like, suburban take on this instead of setting it in, in like, a really flashy international setting. Um, and, uh, you know, I saw some uh, comments on Twitter and on the site of people like, you know... Like, I don't understand why they're doing this. Like, why are these actresses basically playing themselves? Like, did, do, did these people that are criticizing this ever see Ocean's Eleven? I mean, it was basically George Clooney and Brad Pitt playing themselves, right? Like, that, that's the part yeah. of it. So, yeah, that
2: original trilogy was very much the sort of celebrity personified sort of heist thriller that wasn't quite... You know, it was very fantastical and escapist, but in the way that we sort of love our Hollywood stars and their images.
3: Yeah. And uh, right, and the, the same could even be said for the original. Like when people when people went to see movies with the Rat Pack, they weren't interested in their acting powers. They just wanted to see those cool guys up on the screen. They weren't like, oh, what a great performance from Frank Sinatra. That's not how people approach the
1: original. So yeah.
3: that's a that is a strange complaint.
1: Yeah, it is a very strange complaint. Chris, what did you think of this trailer? Oh, I, I loved it. I mean, I've been excited for this
3: since they announced it. I love this cast, especially uh like Kate Blanchett. I'm a huge Kate Blanchett fan. Um and even though I was already excited for it, the trailer actually impressed me more than I was expecting. It looks a lot more stylish than I thought it would be. And I mean like from a cinematography standpoint, like it actually looks like they went all out to try and make this look really like a cool sort of movie. You know, I, I was expecting more of like a point and shoot sort of look that a lot of comedies
1: adopt now. And it doesn't look like they're actually going for that here. So uh, I,
3: I'm pretty impressed.
1: Next up on the list is the Nutcracker in the Four Realms. Uh, Chris, tell us about this movie.
3: Yes. Yeah, so this is a new Disney film and it's, you know, it's taking the Nutcracker story, which, you know, was a, originally a short story and then got turned into a ballet. And it, it's basically uh, attaching a sort of Chronicles of Narnia sort of vibe to it, where they're turning it into this fantasy epic and the trailer, you know, it's fine. It's it's a stylish trailer. It It looks a lot like, um, the Alice in Wonderland films Disney made. It also looks a lot like the the new Beauty and the Beast live action remake. Um, I'm sure someone will like this
1: movie. It's it's definitely not for me. It, it's strange. I saw a lot of people on Twitter excited for this movie, and it, to me, exactly what you said. It looks like uh, Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland meets the new Beauty and the Beast, which is not a combination I am excited about. I uh. You know, I love that Nutcracker song. Uh, You know, if I had a Christmas playlist, it would be on there. But I, as a kid, I remember being taken to that musical and, you know, having to watch the musical on TV and whatever. I just hate that musical. I, I just have no interest in the story. HT, are you at all excited for the Nutcracker?
2: Well, I have sort of personal ties to the Nutcracker ballet because I used to do ballet when I was young uh, for a good 10 years, I think, actually. And I did, you know, your requisite Nutcracker plays every now and then. And I think the last time I was, I think I was one of the mice. I can't remember. I was like eight years old and my only job was to scamper around. But I really enjoy the story and I have a, a great affection for the Nutcracker. And this isn't you know, the Nutcracker and the Mouse King um, story that I recognize, the fairy tale itself is actually quite dark and kind of has a sort of kidnapping um, sort of twist on it. And this one is more of an adventure story. It's all very epic and fantasy-like, like you, were, like you guys were saying. And um, I don't know, I don't, I don't find that very fascinating.
1: And that does it for the trailers. Uh, as I said before, news is starting to calm down this week. I'm not sure how many episodes of Slash Film Daily we will be releasing this week. Uh, we do, we do have a banked show with our best, uh, our favorite Christmas movies that will play at some point. Um, uh, but if, if for some reason you don't get an episode one of these days, it's probably because, you know, Hollywood is shut down. Uh, you can find more of all the stories we mentioned today at slashfilm.com. You can find Slash Film Daily published every weekday, uh, or almost every weekday, on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, and SlashFilm.com, all your popular podcast apps. Uh, You can send us an email at peter at SlashFilm.com. Please go to iTunes, give us a rating, give us a review, and uh, thanks for all the kind words, and we hope you have a good holiday. We'll see you tomorrow.